All right. Hello, everybody. Good. Yes, live from Denver. It is Sunday morning. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Critical Q&A live version for this week. I was going to do a pre-recorded episode this week, but uh, time and things uh, kind of got away from me yesterday. So we are doing it live today. So here I am. Welcome to the show. Let's go ahead and clip over to the... Um, if any comments start appearing, then they will start showing up on the side of the screen there. It's always a little nerve-wracking when I go live, <clears throat> excuse me, on Sunday without a lot of pre-planning and everything. I'm always wondering whether everybody's gonna, anybody's going to be going to show up. You know, I'm not sure if anybody wants to wants to just spontaneously appear. Oh, hey, hey, hon. Uh, excellent. Yes, Sunday afternoon for uh, evening or whatever for uh, the U.K., Yes, we have UK, uh, more UK access, Europe access time uh, when I do these on Sundays. Okay, so um, good. Some people coming on board here as we're going, so I'm sure the questions will start appearing because um, this is Q&A. This is where you guys get to ask me anything, and I'm silly enough that I'd probably answer almost anything, <laughs> uh, to, you know, within reason, of course. It was recommended to me, it was highly, highly recommended to me that I stop drinking uh, Coke out of a can. This is not Coke, actually. This is something different. Uh, so that I stop giving all this free promotion and that I should cover up the, uh, the Apple, too. I'll get, I'll get around to seeing about that. But this is my wife's laptop, so I'm not sure that she wants to do that. Uh, we have this nice Batman background here on the back of her Apple. But we are kind of promoting Apple, and I don't mean to. Uh, it's not not something I'm promoting. And yes, this might this might be Pepsi. There might be uh, some version of Pepsi in here. G generally, Coke is my go-to. Pepsi, I can tell and taste the difference, and um, and I am not into Pepsi as much. But Cherry Pepsi is pretty good. Uh, it just goes flat too soon. It's uh, there's a there's a problem with. Um, with certain drinks, Pepsi especially, that they just go flat so quickly. I mean, by the end of this show, if I left this full, it would be pretty flat by the end. It's that it's that bad. Coke is not uh, Coke is not like that. But again, no promotion. <laughs> I'm not promoting anything. I'm just commenting. All right, um, excellent. All right, just watching some of these comments come in here. Um, I am definitely doing well today. Thank you, X Cyan. Um, any holiday plans for this summer? Raymond asks. Um, not particularly any special plans. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, you know, speaking at the ICSA conference a few weeks ago was definitely a plan that was there, but otherwise, no, not really. I'm just trying to. Um, kind of focus on my work as much as I can. There's so many different projects up in the air between the book and the, the videos I'm trying to get done and I'm uh, the rebranding that's been occurring on my channel, which is now almost done. I'm just a couple little uh, little things away from finishing that and sort of reframing uh, my Patreon page and including some more levels of membership and stuff and then I'll be actually done with that whole kind of rebranding project. And um, 
And I've been learning. I've been uh, actually, it's been going really good. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I've been learning animation and motion graphics work for DaVinci Resolve. That's the software that I use to create my videos. I don't use the Adobe Photoshop or Premiere or any of that stuff anymore. I dumped all that couple of years ago and DaVinci Resolve has really been doing it for me but it's such a massive incredible uh, kind of complicated program that I've really only dived into surface level features and uses for it and now I'm diving into the bits and the details and the motion graphics stuff is very very different from how it's done in the Adobe software not to bore you with all the details but it's just very it's a completely different system and so the, the, the even the concepts you have to know in order to put graphics together are different in DaVinci. Um, really, pro, really top of the line pro level software. They've made movies and stuff with it, but it's uh, a little hard to get into. So I've been getting into it uh, lately and learning some of these basics. And now it's finally starting to all make sense. And this is good because I need to know how to do these motion graphics for this tone scale video. So that's coming together well, actually. Um, it's going a lot slower than I would like, and I'm sure, you know, slower than you guys would like, but it is going, and it is rolling forward, and I am very happy about that, as well as um, some papers that I'm, some academic papers I'm sort of working with my professor, my former professor, uh, Rod Dubrow-Marshall, on to put together about... Um, you know, sort of describing the, 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 what I'll say about it right now is we are sort of breaking down and describing the coercive control framework of Scientology auditing. And that is something nobody else has ever actually approached or done in an academic sense before. No, no research really exists on that. Nobody's really ever broken it down. They've talked about how destructive Scientology is. There have been reports and documents and, and studies done that have shown that Scientology is a destructive cult. There is academic research on that. But nobody's, nobody's ever taken on the auditing process, the security checking, confessional process and really broken it down uh, from a psychological standpoint and that's what we're doing. So that's not a short thing to do. That doesn't just take a, an idle afternoon to put together. There's a lot of work there so um, that's going forward and those are pretty much my big projects and plans right now what I'm kind of working on while I keep the channel going, keep interviews going. I hope you guys were able to see my interview with Alexandra Stain this week. Uh, it seemed to be getting a lot of nice positive feedback. It was a great conversation and there will be more of that uh, into the future. Okay. Um, oh, okay. So let's see what we got here. Have some questions coming in. Um, Oh, sorry, R.R. R. Smith, about that uh, intro music. I'll try to keep it a little lower. All right. Um, let's see here. Moving right along. My cousin. Okay, Bud123. My cousin is a Mormon and did not go on a mission. He received a patriarchal blessing, which said he was going to not get married in his life. Is this manipulation? Told him it was easily falsifiable. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's, sure, it's manipulative. Sure. Yeah. I mean, telling somebody... I mean, you know, manipulation is in anything that's going to influence somebody or change their behavior in some fashion. And telling somebody from a, from a position of authority 
that they are not that they are or aren't going to do something and and putting you know imbuing some authority into that is certainly going to manipulate somebody's emotions and and ideas about something both negative or positive depending on how they feel about it but sure there's there's manipulation there i don't know that it's destructive manipulation quite yet although telling somebody they're not going to get married in their life is a little bit of a odd pronouncement to make i don't quite understand the purpose of that um okay let's see here <laughs> it's national ice cream day would you like some uh, yeah, i'll probably have some ice cream later <laughs> uh, okay let's see here I'm just going through okay Okay, hey, hun, has a great question. Um, I remember you said your parents left Scientology before you. If they were declared before you left, do you think it would have made you leave sooner or would you have disconnected? That's a good question and a tough one. Ooh, let me think about that for a second because um, it was never really up for uh, for debate or, or approval or anything that my parents get declared suppressive while I was in Scientology. That would be a real stretch because they never really did anything that was like overtly suppressive. But let's say the church decided to go after them anyway because they were off the lines or under the radar. They'd faded away and they decided they didn't want to come back. And so somebody in the church, you know, decided they were going to go after my folks. Um. Boy, you know, I try to think right now of like what would convince me that my parents are so bad I would have to disconnect from them. And, you know, it's possible, it's entirely possible that I could have done that and would have done that. There, 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 I cannot say there's no way that ever would have happened. It absolutely could have happened. But it would have had to have been something very convincing. And it probably more would have been a breakaway point for me. Um, you know, if they were declared, it probably would have been more of one of those, you know, like I saw, I, I, I talk about those uh, unforgivable moral transgressions for which are undeniable. The person cannot deny or, or write it off as a breaking point for leaving a destructive cult. You know, you need some kind of an emotional break. And it's usually on the moral plane, on the moral landscape that that happens because people's ideas of what's good and bad or right or wrong are some of them our most powerful influencers. They are the things that drive our behavior almost more than anything. So, you know, if I had been convinced that my parents were bad people or had done anti-church things when I was in the Sea Org, that they had actually attacked the church, that would have been a real difficult thing for me to deal with but i would have been but i think i would have been able to write them off because there was definitely a whole period of my life especially when i was in the sea org where the sea org and scientology was vastly more important to me than anything else going on uh, anywhere in the world, any relationships, any issues, any problems, anything. Scientology was way more important. So, um, so bottom line is, yeah, I could have been convinced to to uh, to disconnect from them, and um, and would have. But like I said, it would have. I would have needed to have been convinced to um, that they were actually attacking the church with an in an effort to 
take it down, bring it down, take it apart, something like that. That would have been what would be necessary there. Um, okay, good. Um, can I explain what a touch assist is? Yeah, sure, Anthony. A touch assist is an effort to um, alleviate body pain by touching the body and the the touch assist the way the touch assist goes if i remember this right is it's is it's one side and then the other you have to keep things you you touch a location on a person's body and then you touch that same location on the opposite side so if you touch the shoulder you say and when you do so you say feel my finger or if the person is a more advanced scientologist then you'll have them close their eyes I think you have them close their eyes either way, but you have them close their eyes and you say, look at my finger. And the person is supposed to look with their spiritual senses through the body and feel or touch or, you know, otherwise sense the person's finger on them. And this goes, and the person is alternately touching, you know, alternate sides of the body all over, up and down, right? The, the forehead, the head, the back, the knees, the shoulders, whatever, all over with concentration on the area of pain or suffering the person's experiencing. And the idea with a touch assist, very, very simply, is that you are experiencing this kind of pain or these what they call in Scientology somatics. Uh, Physical sensations or pains are called somatics. And these somatics are caused by the fact that you are, as a spiritual entity, out of communication with your body. You are not in tune with your body the degree you should be or need to be. And so the touch assist is meant to alleviate that by getting you in touch with or in communication with your body. Okay, that's the theory of it. It's really that simple. And it really is that kind of silly. Uh, Because, of course, being in communication with your body is a completely subjective state that nobody can assess or measure and so it's wide open as to whether you are or are not in communication. Uh, and um, since when is that supposed to relieve a person of pain and stress? <laughs> I mean, that's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But in a Scientology world context, it kind of does. You know, this idea that if you were a Thetan... Uh, if you were fully in communication with your body, then it wouldn't be experiencing any somatics. It wouldn't be experiencing any adverse pains or sensations or anything. And again, not there's no dots to connect here as to how that really is supposed to work in Scientology. It just works because Hubbard says it does. And I was receiving touch assists as early as four years old in my life. And uh, my mom would give them to me when I was sick or in pain or something. And they never really did much of anything. But the expectation that they're supposed to work can put a lot of pressure on a person. And they'll uh, sort of, you know, rewrite their experience or, or sort of, you know, oh, well, I, feel the, I felt a little tiny sensation there. And so, therefore, that must be, you know, a good result. And so, therefore, we must have experienced some degree of change or positive result from this touch assist. And so, therefore, you know, Scientology still works, right? And this is the, this is the experience of a lot of people I've heard coming out of Scientology talking about assists as they just sort of faked it uh, because it really wasn't doing much of anything for them. Okay. Um, oh, here, Xion asks, did you ever do an assist that actually worked or failed? What about some piece of tech like reach and withdraw? 
if you uh, i.e. if you withdraw quick and hard from a person they will reach out to you um well Xion here is this funny it kind of reminds me a little bit of um this funny for, for whatever reason your question reminds me of algebra <laughs> because you know you go to school and you learn geometry and you learn algebra and then you're always asking in in school when am i going to use this how am i going to use this what use is this going to be to me and i was constantly parroting that when i was in school because i thought it sounded clever and because i thought you know what use is this i mean i really did wonder and the highest math I've ever used in life is the uh, is the is uh, uh, ratios. Um, you know, A over B equals C over D, right? So A D equals B C. Anyway, you can figure things out uh, with ratios pretty easily, and that's about the highest form of math I've ever used in my practical living, you know, experience. So uh, the reason I thought of that is you you asked here about you know if you the reach and withdraw uh, if you withdraw quick and hard from a person they will reach out to you. This is about the most advanced Scientology I've used in the real world to this day that actually works, and it's not Scientology; it's just people. But I heard I first heard it described in the world of Scientology by L. Ron Hubbard, and that is that silence invites itza. <laughs> and that principle, what that means is, as I know that's Greek, is um, if you are quiet, the person you're with will fill the void, will start talking, will start will feel uncomfortable by that silence and we'll start we'll start filling it with with chatter with talk in other words if you want to get somebody to start talking to you shut the hell up right just be quiet and people will start talking and it that's true i found that to be true over and over and over again right and so um conversely in a in a in in silence I will feel compelled to fill it up sometimes too, right? So it goes both ways. But if you are interested in somebody and their and what they have to say, or you're interested in you know in that, getting them talking or something, just be quiet. You don't even have to ask them a bunch of questions all the time. Just be quiet, and they'll start talking. It's really quite interesting. Uh, which is probably a, a incredibly stupidly long answer to a, a very short and simple question. But there you go. Uh, all right, let's go back on up here. Um, yes, he did. Yes, that is all true. Raymond asks, how is inflation and rising prices affecting you? Uh, probably like it is everybody else. It really sucks right now. Going out to eat for Mel and I is like a $50 affair, which is ridiculous. We can't even afford it really anymore. Um, you know, bills, utilities, etc. I mean, like everybody else, you know. And unfortunately, this has also hit me on Patreon as well. I had a little bit of a hit in that area. So that's why I'm always kind of pumping for support for the show. So... All right. Uh, hey, hon, have you got your ethics in? I, I think I have. I think I have my ethics in. <laughs> um, okay. JB Chicago asked a good question. Hi, Chris. Do you think there'd be value in trying to get a database of Scientologists' emails and send them the facts about C of Church of Scientology abuse? I'm thinking of a sort of targeted campaign. Thanks. Um, 
Okay, it is very, very difficult without hacking into Scientology's uh, servers to get that information. So I don't know how you would go about collecting such a database, but if you were to do it, um, yes, it would be an effective thing to do, especially now, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm quite positive that there are more fence-sitters and under-the-radar folks in Scientology now than there ever have been, uh, based on recent revelations and events. So I think a targeted email campaign absolutely could work. And the reason why I say that is because Debbie Cook's email had such an effect. Uh, way back in the day, it affected me. I mean, this was all the way back in 2012. Uh, I think it was New Year's 2012 that the that the bombshell email was sent out. And Debbie Cook's email had a nuclear effect on this world of Scientology. Lots and lots of people got it. I think it went out to about 5,000 people. And it mattered. It made a difference. People read it and were like, what? Uh, so could such a thing be repeated? Absolutely. Should it be? Sure. Go right ahead. But I'm not going to encourage anybody to break the law to do it. You know, don't do that. But, uh, but if you could, you know, figure out a campaign of things to say. A lot of those Scientologists, of course, would block you and would not get too many more of those emails unless you sent them from different email addresses or something. Um, and you'd have to figure out how to do it in such a way that didn't end up in everybody's spam folder. But, um, but no, I think such a thing, if it said the right things and wasn't just, you know, Xenu, ah, they're hiding the truth from you, you know, that kind of nonsense. If you actually, you know, could put some kind of calm, rational reasoning uh, message together that people would actually read, then I think you might have some success with that. Um, okay. How is Miscavige still alive slash free, somebody asks. Because <laughs> this is planet Earth, man. Anything goes here. <laughs> I mean, look around, you know. David Miscavige is a really horrible person, and I don't mean to minimize uh, everything that he is responsible for because he's responsible for an awful lot of abuse and violence and nonsense and financial and sexual uh, liberties taken with people. Miscavige is, is kind of the head of a destructive cult, and this destructive cult has been very destructive. Yet at the same time, in the big picture... You compare Scientology to something like the Moonies, and it's nothing. It's a, it's a pipsqueak drop in the bucket compared to something like the Moonies, compared to something like the Jehovah's Witnesses, compared to something like the, the um, Latter-day Saints, right? Which these are organizations that truly have millions of members, and those members are daily experiencing psychological and even physical and uh, sexual abuse. They are, in the Moonies, they labor traffic kids as well as adults. They tear up families. They destroy people's psyches. I mean, it's, it's awful what goes on in these groups, and every single one of them get a pass in this country under the banner of freedom of religion, and this is what, this is what we get. When we allow freedom of thought, freedom of belief, freedom of, of speech, you have people who take advantage of that. And they take advantage of it as far as they can and as long as they can for as much as they can. And, you know, unless somebody steps in, uh, like with uh, Keith Rainier with the, with the Nexium nonsense where he was branding women, he finally took it a step too far for even the government to continue to, they couldn't keep ignoring it. 
Um, you know, but even then, even with branding women, it took an enormous amount of effort on the part of the insiders who were trying to speak up about it to get the New York Times to finally post a story about it. And that's what blew open the Nexium thing. So, you know, what does it take? It takes vast, huge public awareness and incredible amounts of pressure on law enforcement to actually step up and do something about these groups because there are so many of them and because our freedoms are so important to us, and rightly so, we are plagued by these predators and these, these abusers, and, we are, and they are a plague on humanity. They really are. It's there's they are the dark side and uh, and they are the the counter to the the good stuff. We have all this good stuff because of these freedoms we have. But we have this dark stuff too. And that's why David Miscavige is still alive and still have is still free. It's really that simple, you know, in terms of the big, big, big picture answer to your question. And in terms of a, a more precise you know, a uh, situation with Miscavige, it is because law enforcement has not gotten off their ass hard enough, fast enough to take him down. And there is not, I want to be clear that it's not because law enforcement or law enforcement officials at all levels don't want to, but it's a difficult task. It requires an incredible amount of money and time and resources to do the work necessary. Um, it, you know, if you guys only knew, right, how much, it's a lot. So, you know, so we all have to sit here and be patient and try our best to continue exposing the abuses and keep putting it out there and keep putting it out there until we get that make break moment when law enforcement decides, oh, this is a group that actually does need to be prosecuted. And there, that's, that's kind of what, what we're waiting for right now. Okay. Um, okay, Red Pill 3000 asks, uh, considering what the man you interviewed said about Scientology, about the sorry state of the org, where do you see the Church of Scientology in a year or two? Um, okay, you guys know I suck at predictions, right? But um, And we've talked extensively about the fact that Scientology is probably not going anywhere in the next year or two. There is way too much money way too many resources, way too much property and people invested in it for it to just vanish overnight. But I see it continuing to decline. And as, as we went over in my show with John P., I think where we're going with it, I agree with Augustine's write-up and what John P. had to say, where I think we're moving toward a more monastic Scientology where it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller over time. They start shuttering the outer orgs, those city-level churches. Those are going to start closing. I don't think they're going to start closing in the next year or two, though. I think there's enough money, enough resources to keep it going. Now, when you do the math, and Aaron Smith-Levin and I actually did some math the other day, when you actually do start breaking down the math of it, you know, Scientology has very few expenses, but the expenses they have are still there and they're still real. Even paying everybody in the Sea Org 50 bucks a week, is it accumulates over time. Paying uh, or having to subsidize the buildings, the utility payments, the, the food for the Sea Org, the birthing spaces, all of those things cost and they don't cost a small amount of money. They cost a lot of money. You look at the electric bills, utility bills, even for some of these ideal orgs, and we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in some cases because they're lighting up great big buildings. 
Look at Twin Cities, 90,000 square feet of glass-walled space that used to be a museum and is now an ideal org that services at most 100 people in the five-state region around Twin Cities. But they got to keep that building heated and air-conditioned year-round and lit up. Right? That costs. And for a little tiny pipsqueak place like Twin Cities, they're not making that kind of money. And they're not going to continue to make that money in a sustained fashion, especially when they closed for months and aren't even allowed to deliver all the services they should be delivering. So, so the question really becomes, how long can that be sustained? And my answer is not long, but it is years. It can still keep going for quite some time, but it can't go on forever. So year or two, I think things are going to look very similar to how they look now with a continuing decline unless there is some black swan event, some completely unpredicted for uh, situation happens that none of us see coming right now or um, uh, law enforcement decides that now is the time and decides to go after them, right? Or something key or crucial changes with the Masterson case or with this Florida lawsuit right now. Any one of these things could, you know, could change things in this in this whole, you know, kind of picture we have of Scientology right now. So it really is anybody's guess where things are going to be in a year or two. But if given uh, everything kind of keeps going the way it's been going, I will say continuing gradual decline in membership and influence. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> what do I think about a bench press contest at a bus station? I think that's um, uh, a fascinating concept, <laughs> Red Pill. Oh, boy, some of your questions, man. Um, all right, let's go right along here. Um, how about at a homeless shelter? Oh, my God. Sometimes I just don't even know what to do with you. Um, yes, here we go. I was wondering if somebody was going to ask me about this. Steve Ray, any thoughts on the Shinto Abe assassin's family being financially ruined by the Moonies? Seems the Moonies have lots of influence in Japanese politics. Might be worth an episode. Yes, I actually want to do an episode about that. I was actually going to reach out uh, to some former Mooney folks that I know about that exact thing. I was thinking about Jen Kiaba, actually. And uh, see about doing a show about that. Because this, uh, this business of this man who assassinated the former uh, prime minister of Japan, apparently he did so because his mom was in hock to uh, the, uh, was giving over money, rather, I should say, to the Moonies, to the tunes of tens of thousands of dollars, uh, his college fund, I guess, or he couldn't go to college or something. He felt his life was ruined by this. Probably was, in all honesty. Um, you know, the man probably was a victim of the Moonies. And so he decided that he was going to um, take out this person who had been so, as he saw it, apparently, this is the, the, the little bit of reporting I've read on this, Apparently, this assassin thought he was uh, carrying out, you know, executing justice by taking out this uh, former prime minister. And he, at one, si- one time, apparently had his sights set on the head of the Mooney's church as well. He was going to take him out. I don't particularly think that, and I would never espouse violence as the answer. I don't think assassinating a leader or of a cult is the way to go about taking down a cult. I, and in fact, it's it's a really bad idea because it creates a martyr out of that cult leader, and the followers will absolutely 
martyr their leader. So, um, so that's not what you want to do. Uh, it's not the way to stop or put down or, or get rid of a cult. Um, so I don't in any way endorse what happened, but I understand what happened based on the reporting we're hearing, and I'd like to dive in more deeply on that. The Moonies are an incredibly destructive cult. They are really a labor trafficking and in some ways a sex trafficking organization, as I understand it. And um, they are not a religion. They are not a benign, beneficent organization around the, the principles and philosophy of Sun Myung Moon. It is a labor trafficking slavery outfit. That is what the Moonies are. And um, I, I am really, really, really upset about the fact that the Moonies have been allowed to carry on as long as they have and have the worldwide influence that they have. They are a death cult. Uh, now with the whole AR-15 thing, because they've kind of broken up. The Moonies are no longer just this single organization. They are this vast organization, and it, And after Moon died, apparently his family kind of broke up the model amongst themselves, and one of them is this heavy, heavy gun manufacturing proponent and uh, really dangerous stuff. You know, lots of them portraits of the family with, with guns and things like that. Uh, and these are, these, are, these are Japanese people. These aren't, uh, you know, uh, this isn't just an American gun fetish thing, in other words, right? Um, is it Japanese? I'm sorry, Korean. Uh, totally missed, totally screwed that up. It's Korean, not Japanese. Uh, anyway, yeah, not good. Not good there. Okay, um, two birds fly. <laughs> well, I don't know, do they? Some birds do. Ostriches don't. Uh, okay, let's see here. Yes, Mike Rinder's uh, memoir. Yes, in fact, I secured Mike's agreement to come on my show uh, to, as part of his publicity tour for that. I know he's going to have some major media uh, he's going to be doing for that book because he's you know, in more rarefied air than I am. But I am really looking forward to it. Because, again, that's going to put Scientology in the limelight again. It's going to put it in the spotlight, right? It's going to be like, okay, here we are. Let's look at this again, and perfect timing for the upcoming Masterson case. So, yes, you know, and I know uh, Mike is hard at work on his audiobook version of that right now. So, um, we're all looking forward to that coming out for sure. Um, okay, uh, let's see here. Moving right along. Um I did tell Mel that you all missed her, by the way. I made it abundantly clear to her that she was sorely missed uh, this last show. Um, cool, cool, cool. Oh, thank you, Kathy. Enlightening, I, I'm trying to be. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Great question. Um, what is this? Li Libius. The concepts of Atlantis and Lemuria and past lives involving them are important in theosophy and other occult systems. Did you ever hear a preclear talk about Atlantis? Okay, no, I didn't, but I did hear L. Ron Hubbard talk about Atlantis. He referred it he referred to it in a lecture as Atlantia, Atlanta, Atlantis, and he did specifically refer to Lemuria or Lemur in a lecture. Uh, I think it was the same one, and he talked about giants, and he talked about big bodies here on Earth, 
And he referred to these places as real places that did exist at one point, but he did not go into really any more detail than that. I think he said something about a techno-electrical, electro kind of civilization. In other words, they had advanced technology thousands of years ago here on planet Earth. And that was it. You know, like everything else, Hubbard would just sort of throw out some chum and then let it lay there bleeding. He wouldn't really do anything else with it, right? You'd sit there and chomp, chomp, chomp on it. And then, okay, I want more. And he was like, no, no, no. You know, go in session, figure it out for yourselves kind of thing. And I never, ever heard of any pre-clears talking about Atlantis in or out of session. But that's not to say it didn't happen, especially with Hubbard sort of sanctioning it in his lectures. As soon as Hubbard starts talking about stuff in lectures, boom, that stuff appears in auditing sessions. And if you want to get a flavor of the kind of stuff that would appear in sessions, in auditing sessions regarding past lives, check out a book from 1957, which is out of print now. It's called, Have You Lived Before This Life? And it is a collection of anecdotes from auditing sessions taken, uh, posing as case studies um, from 1957, from a Congress that L. Ron Hubbard held. It was either 57 or 58. Um, One of the advanced clinical courses that he did, they decided to document the past life cases. And they were going to, they wrote this, they put this book out. That was actually printed and out in bookstores. It was a it was a very popular book through the seventies, and it had very interesting cover art about some guy rising. You know, it looked like some guy rising from a grave, and they would uh, try to appeal to the whole spiritualism mysticism crowd with books like that. So you can check that out if you want to see more about the kind of past life stories uh, that Scientologists would uh, evolve in their auditing. Um, okay, Raymond asks, what cult documentary would you recommend and or did you like? I saw Keep Sweet on Netflix and it was interesting. Uh, yeah, um, I, there have not, there, uh, surprisingly guys, I have not really been keeping up on all of the cult documentaries and the reason being that I have a series of videos planned, f- reviews that I want to do uh, coming up in the future. Uh, about cults and entertainment and cults uh, in documentaries. And I want to do one-by-one takedowns and reviews of these things. And so I haven't been watching them because I'm waiting to do that series and then watch them then and review them for you guys. So I'm way behind. I mean, because I'm just, I'm so damn slow at getting to all this stuff. So um, in terms of what would I recommend? Well, obviously I'm going to recommend Going Clear as a documentary because it's brilliant, and I think it's one of Alex Gibney's best works. Um, and, of course, Scientology in the Aftermath, in its way, is a is very much a Scientology documentary. Um, trying to think here. There was... There was a show very much worth watching um i think it was called the anatomy of a dictator let me see if that's or dictator 101 or something it was on netflix and no not anatomy of a dictator but it was it was um narrated by uh peter um Boy, now I'm sitting here live and being totally caught out. 
Um, Peter Dinklage. Looking it up right now. Narrated authoritarian documentary. How to Become a Tyrant. Okay, now this is about tyrants. But everything, everything in that documentary applies 100% to cult leaders. Again, same dynamics going on, same control mechanisms going on, same leader-follower abusive relationship, tyranny, cults, narcissists, predators. These are all synonyms. These things all go together. And I thought that, I think it was five or six parts, and they took apart various tyrants through history, Idi Amin, Hitler, uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, Gaddafi, a couple others, and it was great. It was really well put together, but better than I thought it was going to be. So I would recommend checking that out if you have the opportunity. Okay. Uh, okay, coming right back up the line here. Yes. Okay, going right along. Xion. Have you ever thought about how when a person leaves a cult, the first thing they do is try to figure out how and why they got in and how that's similar to the nation wondering how and why we got Trump? (laughs) That's a funny comment. Uh, I haven't wondered about it at all because I've been living it for the last nine years. So uh, it's just perfectly normal and natural to me. I wish, though, that more people wondered about this. You know, you guys obviously do. You're here on my channel checking this stuff out. I wish we could somehow get more people curious about this, don't you? It is fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating to learn about the psychology and the sociology, the, the social dynamics, you could say the relationships of cults and how they work. And I just wish more people understood that when you're looking at that stuff, you're looking at all of us. You're not just looking at some weirdos who fall for stupid ideas because they're a bunch of stupid idiots. I really wish we could cancel that idea somehow and get people realizing that, uh, that this stuff is actually something we all are a little susceptible to. Um. Oh my god. <laughs> Red pills jokes are hilarious. Um Oh cool, you'll be in Loveland in a couple weeks. Excellent. All right. Um Oh my gosh, Kathy. Okay, so Kathy O'Graham asks, my question would be what Miscavige and Tom Cruise have in common? What do they do or talk about when they spend hours and hours together? They're bros. They 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 bro stuff. They 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 merge or they meld on bro stuff, right? They go do physical stuff. They ride motorcycles. They go diving. I'm sure Miscavige is an avid diver, by the way, a deep sea diver, and uh, or maybe not deep sea, but certainly ocean diver and photographer. He's really into that, and apparently he's pretty good at underwater photography. And so I'm sure he loves going out with. You know, Tom Cruise on stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe they go skydiving together and stuff. You know, they, they do bro stuff. They're always, you know, probably working on one-upping each other, that kind of uh, friendly camaraderie and get-together. They also, of course, bond on Scientology and what to do about Scientology and how all these SPs aren't making it work and it's all them and, and how Cruise and Miscavige have to carry the load all the time on their, you know, humble shoulders and, and, and they probably bond on that kind of thing. I mean, let's keep in mind the personality types we're talking about here. Cruz is not a good guy. 
he's a very vicious, evil, abusive person. And so is Miscavige. So, you know, I don't know. What do they, you know, they probably bond on how they abuse people and they probably laugh it up and they don't think about it as abuse. They probably think about it as justice or, you know, well-deserved punishment or discipline instilling or something like that, you know. It's about all I could say about that one, I guess. I'd love to be a fly on a wall. I mean, in the room, you know, I might be very interesting. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe they bond over pictures of flowers. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, kind of funny. Uh, but good question. I mean, not a bad question, Kathy. Just I wish I knew more of an answer to that question. Pardon me for a second. All right. Oh, wow. Time is flying by here. Okay. Let's see what else we have. Okay. Um, Nikola Tesla, 1967. As a former Scientologist, Chris, do you still believe in reincarnation? No. No, I don't. I have a, um, I have a kind of a complicated worldview in terms of spirituality and, and science and stuff like that, uh, the way I think about those things. And so there isn't any real definition of reincarnation that would fit how I think about things. So no, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think that that's a thing. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, 88Michael6988. Wow, that's a fascinating <laughs> name. When are you going to interview the Scientologists that's still in the church again? Um, soon, this week, next week, you know, soon. Um, you know, one of the things about being still in the church is you have to be a little careful about uh, your exposure, right? So we're getting around to it, though. All right, Um yeah, Moonies. Oh, my God. All right. Yeah, would you ever interview Laura Prepon? She left Scientology and is doing cooking vids on YouTube, Nick Bravo asks. And, yes, I'd be happy to interview Laura, but I don't think she's interested in speaking out or speaking up. And I have no idea why, but I can only connect the dots between her and Masterson and that whole inner circle, and that's my obvious answer to that question. But I don't know that it is the answer to the question. But for whatever reason, Laura isn't speaking up, and I do not respect that uh, because she's not in a position where she has the freedom to just decide, I don't want to talk about that. When you're a celebrity, you have obligations and responsibilities, and that's different from being just a normal member. It's just part of the life. You know, if you're going to be in the public eye and you're going to endorse something like Scientology, and she has publicly, uh, in the media, in Scientology publications, right? And you don't go back on that when you come out and you don't say, hey, I was wrong and you shouldn't do that. You're an asshole. And that's Laura right now. So, you know, that's my take on her. I don't have kind words about her not speaking up about Scientology. I just don't. And of course, I'm not biased uh, at all. <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, there could well be factors I am completely unaware of, and I am being totally mean and totally unjust right now, but I don't think so. So that's, that's my take on that. 
Um, but yeah, I would love to interview her and I would do so in a second if she was willing to do so. And hopefully it wouldn't be a hostile one. You know, I'd love to just have a chat and have a friendly conversation. I really would. So I, you know, but I just don't understand where her head's at that she's not uh, speaking out against Scientology. I just don't get it. Um, Steve Ray, do you think QAnon should be classified as a cult? Where should the line be drawn between a cult and a political movement or ideology? Um, okay, Steve Ray, great question. And the line is drawn at the subject of abuse. Um, there is psychological as well as physical abuse. There is physical violence and there is like mental, uh, crazy inducing, uh, activities, right? Mind control, thought reform, that kind of thing. And so I don't think that ideas are harmless. I think ideas can be very, very destructive and can inform an awful lot of a destructive behavior, a la January 6th. And if you tell me QAnon had nothing to do with January 6th, I'm not going to listen to another word you have to say because I know different. Um, so, you know, so when it comes to that kind of activity where there's actual violence in the real world or supported violence or supported abuse, and there is an awful lot of that in the QAnon sphere, I've dived all the way down that rabbit hole and it is not a fun one. Um, you see culty behavior, a lot of it. Uh, you see an awful lot of thought reform behavior. You see an awful lot of propagandist behavior. And, of course, a lot of lying, a lot of deceit, deception, that kind of thing. So we talked about this very, very briefly in my chat with Alexandra this week. We brought up online cults because the relationship, uh, the, the attachment, the disorganized attachment that we talk about in the podcast applies somewhat on the Internet to the Internet model of cults. And this is something we're still working on, still figuring out to a great degree. You guys need to know that the cult studies field is tiny in academia. Hardly anybody touches it or wants to. I have no idea why because it's one of the most fascinating psychological and sociological studies you can do, but people don't want to go near it. And so it doesn't get a lot of rigorous academic study. And so online, offline cults, like real-world cults, the modeling of these things, there's still so much work to do on that. Um, but QAnon absolutely, in my mind, classifies as a destructive online cult. And the reason I call it destructive is because of the real-world behavior of the QAnon supporters, as well as the, you know, the crazy nonsense that they forward. But it's not crazy ideas that make a cult. It's crazy behavior. It's destructive behavior. Um, that's where we draw the line in answer to your question. Um, latest news about Riza and Hanan Aslam. Uh, you got to follow Tony on that one. I don't keep up on it. I, I honestly, I don't don't care that much. Uh, it's fraud. I think re, I, one of them died uh, recently, and I, you know, I don't know. Tony keeps up on that stuff. Um, No, I never did hear this story about Jim Carrey calling the Celebrity Center. No, I never heard that story before. That's interesting. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Raymond. <laughs> Why is it so difficult to change the gun laws in the U.S.? This in view of the school shootings in the past period. <laughs> The answer is right in front of you. I mean, it's not, this isn't rocket science. Our Second Amendment is uh, enshrined in law 
and an awful lot of people have an awful lot of good reasons to have and keep guns. They are not all bad reasons, um, but they are not all good reasons either. And, of course, the accumulation of lots and lots of guns and the types of guns is up for debate. I, you know, I've been part of that debate. I've been in that debate. You guys have seen whole podcasts from me on this channel on this topic, and I highly recommend, Ray, you check those out because we have talked about this. There are a lot of factors at play uh, with gun rights in the United States, and school shootings are not enough to take those away any more than drunk driving is a reason to cancel or uh, ban alcohol in this country. You know, there are far, far, far more deaths from alcohol than there ever have been from guns, but we keep drinking it. We keep selling it. We keep distributing it. Uh, same reasoning in, in many, many ways. Yes, but alcohol, well, you know, what uses does, does leisure alcohol have? You know, I mean, it's, it, it very, there's a lot of similarities there. And, of course, it's a very, very contentious topic. So, really, no matter what I say, somebody's going to have something to say about it. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Ray, I think it really does come down to an issue of rights, self-defense, and the law. And, uh, and these, are, these are difficult, basic, fundamental topics for this country. Um, and they are, um, it's not a black and white, simple, easy peasy thing. Like, oh, let's just do what Australia did and ban all the guns. I've been down that road. I wish it was that easy. But the United States is in Australia. Not by a long shot. And our culture thinks about them differently. Everything about our guns in America is different from anywhere else in the world. So there's an awful lot of cultural indoctrination that needs to be overcome. And if, if there's any comparison I have to how you would actually go about doing it, it would be how they got rid of cigarettes. Because if you've noticed, cigarettes aren't a thing a whole lot anymore. Not compared to how they used to be 70, 80 years ago. But look at how long it took. Look at how much work it took. Look at how much education it took. You had to literally re-educate entire generations for cigarette smoking to fall out of favor. And it's going to be the same thing with guns. If you want guns to fall out of favor, you're going to have to re-educate entire generations of people in this country. That's the answer. It's not a fun answer. It's not a satisfying answer. It, it's an answer that pisses most people off. But as far as I can tell, it's the only realistic answer. And there you go. <laughs> Hope I don't get a lot of nonsense from that one. Um, okay. I do not know how much auditing was per hour in the seventies. X sign. I don't. I didn't. Ha I don't have that data. Um, all right. Let's see here. Going on down the line. You mentioned in the critical clips. Oh yeah, sure. Um, X sign. You mentioned in a critical clip that there was an issue that came out about no sex in the Sea Org. Do you know what kind of issue it was and what it was called? Yes, it was a flag order, and it's called 2D Rules. 2D Rules. That's what it's called. And the first line is that uh, heavy petting is forbidden, and there is no sex, uh, premarital sex allowed in the Sea Org. Um, 
Libya, which geographical areas have the most Scientologists after the Los Angeles and Tampa Bay regions? When I was in Scientology managing the West U.S., uh, the biggest regions outside of L.A. and Clearwater were Portland and then um, Seattle. And the Portland, Oregon area has more XC organ in it than any other region, too, by the way, which was fascinating. Um, don't know why it works out that way, but that's what I knew from the, ge- from the demographics data that I had access to. Um, Red Pill 3000, why are chiropractors more susceptible to Scientology-wise stuff? Because chiropractors are the most pseudoscientific of the medical profession, and so therefore the most susceptible to woo and nonsense, and Hubbard slings plenty of woo and nonsense. Woo is just a term for pseudoscience, nonsense, spiritual gizmo crap, right? Um, And chiropractors fall for that stuff, right? They fall for the goofy vitamin therapies, the supplements, the the homeopathic crap, right, where you're basically just drinking water. Um, uh, they fall for all that stuff because chiropractic itself is, is a bit of junk science. It's all based on nonsense. And there are good things to be had in chiropractic, you know, with a little bit of bone setting and stuff. But let's all be honest with each other. Chiropractic is about a lot more than just cracking some bones and putting joints back in place. There are chiropractors out there, and you know there are who make it a whole lifestyle thing and insist that babies be receiving chiropractic treatment from the moment they were born and that it be a lifetime you know, treatment program and that all these supplements and magnets and you know, muscle ther- resistance therapy and all this other crap, uh, muscle testing, that's what it was, um, you know, all this pseudoscientific nonsense, right, is, is just slung around in the world of chiropractic. So Scientology is a pretty natural fit for it. And that's one reason why they fall for it. The other one is because, like all other doctors, they have no business sense. They spent all their time doing their medical training. They don't know how to run an office. They don't know how to keep administration going. And WISE, the WISE program offered by Scientology, gives a really good presentation that it's going to take care of all that for you and you're not going to have to worry about anything you hire some people you put this system in place your office is going to run like a well-oiled uh ruthless efficiently uh, ruthlessly efficient uh machine money-making machine and you're just going to have patients hand over fist so all of those factors put together i think is why chiropractors specifically are more susceptible Okay, we're going to have to wrap up shortly here. So let's see here um, what else we've got. You guys have asked some great questions this hour. I do hope to do some more with Jonathan Streeter soon. He is It's so much fun being on his show. I, I love that guy, and I hope to do more with him. Um, No. Gnome Sane says, did you see the video of Logan Paul, punk Grant Cardone about Scientology? I'm going to have to look this up now. I don't respect either one of those guys, but it should be interesting to watch Logan Paul trash Grant Cardone. I'm always down for that. Um, Yes, the hunting issue. Yeah, you brought that up. Uh, Good good point, bud123. Legit. 
totally legit as far as I'm concerned. Hunting is absolutely a valid activity. Um, I will say can be. Uh, Certainly, I've seen people abuse the right. Uh, Let's see. Good, good. Yes, all that stuff. Okay. I think I'm caught up. Oh, my God. I think I actually caught up for the first time. Um, What's this question about Falun Gong? Oh, I have not run into ex-Fallon Gong members as such. No, not not heard too much about that. But um, you have you haven't heard of anyone being abused by them other than their relationship with China. I have, so might want to dive a little deeper into that one. Um, just check that out a little bit, Steve. Um, there is data out there to be gotten about the abusive practices of Falun Gong within the world of Falun Gong, not just because Scientology's or sorry, China is persecuting them. Uh, so yeah, that's what I got on that one. And okay, so that all being said, I think we're going to wrap up the show. Yeah. Okay, this has been fun. Yeah, thanks for coming around, guys. If you found this show and, of course, other shows that I put out and this channel as a whole interesting, informative, educational, entertaining, then consider supporting me through Patreon or uh, through a one-off. I've got links below to my Venmo and my PayPal and all that. You guys can figure it out. Uh, Show me some love. Buy me a cup of coffee, whatever, however you want to put it. It's always, always appreciated and helps keep this show going and keep me going because that's how I keep going with the content. All right, guys. A lot of fun this week. Uh, Look forward to seeing you next week. And on that happy note, we will wrap it up. Bye-bye.